Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show. Oh God, when we last left you yesterday, this story was just breaking and now we know a lot more about what happened yesterday in Nashville, Tennessee. The piece is starting to come together in this devastating shooting at a private Christian school. Um, it went up to sixth grade, right? Sixth grade. It was Littles. Uh, the three children who were shot were all nine years old. I'm sorry. It's like I have a nine-year-old. Can I just tell you before I get started on the intro that Canadian Debbie wrote that is beautifully done? Um, when I was getting ready for the show today, there's something being done outside of our studio, so I couldn't get ready at my normal desk. So I went into Thatcher's room. He has a nice little desk in his bedroom with a good lamp. And I sat there and I was reading the details on the three children and then three teachers who were killed, a custodian, a teacher, and, and a principal. Um, and I was looking around his room, trying to hold it together here, and um, thinking about what is... What's a nine-year-old into? Into, There were two girls and a boy killed. My nine-year-old, you know, the, the first thing I saw was this like poop emoji squishy on the desk, right? I mean, not far from that, to be perfectly honest with you, there was like a fart blaster where if you, if you press the, you know, the trigger, it makes the funny noises. Um, his books, Land of Stories, uh, little little medals, you know, from little events he's won that he's proud of. Um, his stuffed animals, that's nine stuffed animals there. Calls him his defense force on the bottom of his bed. There's a little avocado. There's a stuffed dog. There's a bear. There's a Syracuse University orange, you know, things like that. That's nine. They're little. He still wants to be tucked in every night and God bless it. I do it. And so does Doug. And we Sometimes you're tired, but 99% of the time, love it and look forward to it. He was trying to convince his uncle to tuck him in last summer. And uh, the uncle was like, you can do it, Thatcher. And uh, Thatcher said, it's really easy. All you have to do is pull the covers up to my nose and give me a kiss. <laughs> That's nine. That's nine. There was a little picture on his corkboard. It was like a celebration of courage that they did in his class. It's third grade. And he said, um, I, I felt brave when I went in the ocean, which I'm afraid of, and went under a big wave. That's nine. Nine makes the gas jokes and has the poop emojis. And nine reads sweet books like Land of Stories as an escape to get away from life and go into the fairy tale world, which they still think is possible. Everything seems possible. And three nine-year-olds were shot down yesterday by one sick person, in addition to the three school administrators. There's something wrong with our society, and I, for one, am fucking sick of the knee-jerk. It's the guns. Get the guns. We have 330 million guns, maybe over 400 million by some counts in, in America. They're not going away. We could do an assault weapons ban tomorrow. They're not going away. All right? We have to take a serious, honest look at what's wrong with us. We can take a look at what's going on in the case of this particular woman, trans person, she's a biological woman, and figure out what made this person crack 
But we go through this every time. We try to figure out the issues that led to this person to do it or that person to do it. And then we change nothing. Okay, we change nothing. And I realize it's a big country and you get, it's a free country and you're never going to be able to stop them all. But that shouldn't lead to just the constant shoulder shrugs. We're like, well, and I, for one, think we really need to take a hard look at, yes, mental health and also institutionalization. Institutionalization. We need to make it easier to civilly commit people who are showing signs, red flags, that they may be the next school shooter. I don't know whether they were present in this case. The police haven't released that. We'll find out more in the days to come. This morning, the police revealed stunning new video evidence of this attack. It's chilling. It's six plus minutes. I couldn't take my eyes off of it. I've never seen anything like this. They don't normally release this kind of intimate details, these kind of intimate details about an attack, but they did, I'm guessing, in the wake of Uvalde, where we know we were lied to by the cops. The cops were cowards in that case. Um, They're trying to show exactly how they handled it and when and how. And so I do appreciate the transparency, but they are, this video is disturbing. You can see some of the victims. Therefore, we will not be showing most of these videos. Uh, We have no desire to put that on display out of respect for the families and those who are grieving. And we also, as always, decline to give the shooter any more notoriety than this sick person obviously wanted. Nor are we going to showcase her cowardice who turned a peaceful school for young children into a war zone. That was her swan song in dealing with her issues. Took the time to write some weird loving goodbye to a female friend of hers. Wanted to announce that she'd be soon seen on the news. So don't help. The media shouldn't help. She wanted infamy. We declined to give it. Talk about what happened. Try to figure this out because we care about our children and our country. About her, I don't give two shits. I'm sorry. I, I, don't, I don't care who gets offended. I don't care. Like, I want this person to be rotting in hell right now. I'm trying to find my inner Catholic to say, we forgive. We try to understand. Right now, I'm not going to lie. I'm praying to God she's burning in hell. That's, that's my prayer. I, maybe it makes me a bad person. I'll have to see forgiveness this Sunday, as I always do. On the other side of the ledger, you know, this person was evil, but this story is not all about evil. It's also about incredible courage. And the video, the six-minute video, makes you proud as you can be of our law enforcement. You know, all cops are bastards. You know, the people like BLM activists who have been telling us that for the past three years, we're going to show you these cops. You ask yourself whether these are the bastards that have been so demonized by the far left over the past few years. These are heroes. These are young guys who ran toward the danger and you will see it without a thought for themselves. Their professionalism, their courage, their calmness under very tense circumstances. You can hear the siren blaring. You can see the the lights flashing. They showed honor, true honor. Sometimes you wonder, especially with young people today, like, what's going through their heads? Is there anything to feel proud of? You know, what's happening to our society? You look at these guys. I don't know how old they are. They look young. And you think, thank God. 
We, we're still Americans. We still do run toward the danger. We still have heroes here. It's not all bad. It's not all society decay. And we're going to show you the video and play it for the listening audience too in a minute. We always ask why, right? In times like these, we always ask why. Why would somebody do this? Why would you target little children? Why does this little child seen here, oh, waving in a, in a window or with, with the hand up on the window, have to end the school day in utter terror and grief? There are no easy answers. There never are in these cases. But at least in this particular case, we have quickly found out some of the details. The shooter was not, as we said when we closed out the show yesterday, based on the police reporting, in her teens. She was 28. She was a biological woman, but had begun identifying as a transgender man, Uh, had changed the pronouns and had started using a male name. We are told by law enforcement the shooter had previously attended this school, again, which was either K through six or preschool through six. The shooter had no previous criminal record, but police say the shooter may have had some resentment for having gone to this school, though I have to say the way the cop, the chief phrased it was very sketchy. I'm not sure. There are indications the shooter also considered targeting another school instead of this one, but decided against it because that school had too much security. I mean, note to the schools and the administrators out there, because in the wake of these tragedies, I don't want to say every time, but too often we see copycats. I know I'm worried about it. I'm sure every parent out there is worried about it right now. And if you don't have a lot of security at your school, now's the time to beef up right now. Beef up. Even if you can't sustain it long term, you have to do it in the wake of something like this because it does give people ideas. It's one of the reasons why we shouldn't put these stories on loop. Yes, they need to be discussed, but they don't need to go on loop. So that other school was rejected because it had too much security. This shooter clearly had a history of mental health issues, as evidenced by the chilling final message I referenced a moment ago that she sent to a longtime friend just minutes before the shooting. According to those messages, which thankfully the friend has released, the shooter wrote, quote, so basically that post I made on here, we don't know what she's referencing about you. That was basically a suicide note. I'm planning to die today. This is not a joke. You'll probably hear about me on the news after I die. It was signed with both the shooter's female and male names. And the friend responded, you have so much more life to live. I pray God keeps and covers you. That friend miraculously, right? Because so often you get the message like this on social media or something, and they don't do anything. That friend did the right thing. She called the cops to report the messages, but it had all happened so quickly. So there wasn't time. The shooter was already at the school. It was moments later that the shooter did what she did. At this stage, authorities do not believe that the shooter was targeting specific people inside the school, that they were random victims. However, Covenant's head of school, 60-year-old Catherine Kuntz, was among the victims. She's been described as a remarkable woman, strong and steady and hilarious. Also killed 61-year-old substitute teacher, Cynthia Peake. She leaves behind a husband, a daughter, 
and two sons. The third adult victim, 61-year-old school custodian, Mike Hill. A former pastor who hired Mike said of him, I don't know the details yet, but I have a feeling when it all comes out that Mike's sacrifice saved lives. I have nothing factual to base that upon. I just know what kind of guy he was, and I know he's the kind of guy that would do that. And then there are the three smallest victims, all three children killed, just nine years old, as I said. Among them, Hallie Scruggs. Hallie's dad is a pastor at the Connected Church. In a statement, he called his little girl such a gift, saying, Through tears, we trust that she is in the arms of Jesus, who will raise her to life once again. Hallie has three older brothers. You can see them in this picture if you check us out on YouTube. Just imagine how those little boys are feeling today. And Hallie's poor mother. In the image we're showing, she's absolutely beaming. She has a beautiful, from the look of it, very happy family. That is the smile of a mother in pure happiness and love with her family, not anticipating anything like this, as none of us do when we send our children off to school. We haven't learned a lot of details about the other two young victims just yet, but Evelyn Dickhouse was the third grader at the school. And last night at a prayer vigil, Evelyn's older sister told the crowd through tears, quote, I don't want to be an only child. The little boy was William Kinney. We don't have a picture of him yet either. And we don't yet know all the stories that William's friends and family, no doubt, have about him. I'm sure there are many. And when we learn more, we will share them. That's how you keep their memories alive, right? Remember the, p- the piece we did over the summer on Blake Barklage, my, my friend's 17-year-old son who died of myocarditis suddenly um, about a year ago, October of 21? They did such a good job in that piece. Certainly, thank God, is not about a murder, but it's about the loss of a child at an untimely place in, in their childhood. And, and how one deals with it and how one keeps their memory alive and what the grieving process can look like. Can it in any way be joyful? Can it in any way be loving? Can it in any way involve people bringing your child's name up to you all the time? It can. It can. And there's a blueprint in that piece, which is on our YouTube page and on our show. We'll get the episode number for you, too. For parents and others thinking about grief and how one gets through massive tragedy. I mentioned the Mr. Rogers philosophy, you know, in times like this, look for the helpers. Such good advice. And boy, were there helpers here. There were heroes here. Here are the names of just two of them, and there will be more. They weren't the only two unseen. Nashville police officer Michael Colazzo and officer Rex Engelbert. Look at these guys. They, they can't be out of their 20s, can they? Uh, I mean, young 30s at the absolute most. They look like they're mid-20s to me. I don't know how old the pictures are, but these two men are credited with taking down the shooter. Officer Colazzo has been on the force for nine years. Officer Engelbert, just four. When they and other officers arrived at the scene, the shooter began firing off rounds at police through a second floor window. The chaos began immediately. The bullets hit patrol cars. Even so, Colazzo and Engelbert and their fellow officers ran toward the gunfire as they are trained and required to do in order to find and take down the threat and save the lives of who knows how many inside that school. The video we are about to show is these officers entering the building and doing exactly that, a warning that it may be disturbing for some. 
but it shows the absolute heroism in the face of terror. Could you do this? Think of what police do on a day-to-day basis. Could you do this? Could you maintain this kind of professionalism in these circumstances? If you are just listening right now on SiriusXM, uh, you will hear the shouting and the chaos as they move throughout the building, uh, going from the first floor up to the second where the shooter was, and eventually confront the shooter. Watch. Rifle first. Rifle first. Blue, go. Go, 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 go. Go. Move. Move. I'm with you. Go left. Hold on. Keep pushing. Go. Right, right, right. Watch left, watch left. Suspect down, suspect down. Hmm. Good God. God bless them. God bless the families of these victims who are going through so much right now. We pray like the family of little Hallie that they are with Jesus. This shooting started and ended in less than 15 minutes. The video the police released showed the shooter coming in through a side door and shooting through the glass. It does make you wonder whether your school is bulletproof glass, doesn't it? Do most schools? I don't think most schools do. Um, But we can fortify with officers. We can have armed security guards. Those doors were locked. That's what's disturbing. They were locked, not like Uvalde, where they were open. Now this community has to try to figure out a way to begin to heal. Joining me now, Carrie Prejean Bowler and Britt Mayer, founders of The Battle Cry, a platform they created with the goal of protecting children. Ladies, I'm so happy to have you here today. This is just so heartbreaking. Two moms, two women of faith who have devoted your lives to helping protect children in many different ways. It's just so upsetting. And it's, you feel so freaking helpless, don't you? I mean, I know we're not helpless. There's certain things we can do, but there's no guarantees when you send your littles off to school. There's just not. It's just one of the sad realities of living in a free country where mental illness is a factor. It is. Um, I told Carrie this morning, I'm like, I'm not going to make it through our time together because I have a nine year old daughter. And, you know, you're talking about like what it looks like, like a childhood. It's horses. It's fairy tales. It's bike rides. It's that the world is good. And our country has created a monster that is manifesting in a mental health crisis of a whole generation and a coming generation. And those little fairy tale childhoods like my daughters are in the line of fire 
And we have to start talking about it. And we have to start moving beyond the conversation about guns. Guns have been in the American fabric since inception, but something else has changed. And if we're not talking about that, then we're missing the whole plot line and we're only going to see more and more of this. You're so right. You know, you, you, go, you girls know online, if you even say thoughts and prayers in the wake of something like this, the, these crazy anti-gun activists will start chastising you, like F your thoughts and prayers. Unless you get behind their, their push to control guns, you're in favor of something like this. I, I feel the, I'm starting to feel the same about them. F you and your constant obsession over firearms. We can get yeah. rid of all the firearms and we're still going to have sick homicidal maniacs who want to kill nine-year-olds. And let's deal with that. Why? Your constant knee-jerk obsession about firearms is preventing us from dealing with that. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's Carrie, I, we have to talk about that. We have to talk about mental illness and we do have to be honest about the obvious mental illness that this particular shooter was dealing with. This has been something you guys have been spending a lot of time on because this person was trans, was obviously deeply unwell. Yeah. um, Megan, thanks for having us on today. Um, My son just turned 10 a few weeks ago and um, I... I can't even I, I I can't even imagine what that mother is going through today, waking up, even if I, I doubt she even went to sleep. Um, the fact that this happened at a Christian school, this was a hate crime. And we need to start saying it. This was an attack on Christians. This was an attack on families, good, good families. The pastor of the church lost his beautiful, innocent little girl because of this mentally deranged person, mentally deranged person. And we are fostering that mental illness in this country. We are encouraging it. We are fostering it. We are promoting it. We are looking at it as love and tolerance and equality. No, no. We need to start telling it like it is. This is a mentally ill person. And I pray to God that we don't we don't see more of this. But I don't I don't know what to do, Megan. I don't know what the hell to do. People's heads are in the sand and they're too damn afraid to say what it is because they don't want to be labeled as a bigot or a transphobe. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. That's the thing is it's like there are trans people who are good people and who are living their lives privately without bothering anybody. But let's be honest, there's, there appears to be a disproportionate likelihood of mental illness in this particular group. I mean, th- this is not like a perfectly well person doesn't one day declare themselves trans in the middle of their life like this girl did. They don't. And it's no accident and it's no surprise that she was also threatening suicide right? It's like, and and no focus on guns (laughs) is going to get us out of problems like this particular shooter. This person's mother was posting repeatedly online about how bad guns are and how we've got to do something to get guns out of schools, upset about things like Sandy Hook. 
How about your own kid? Like, like, how do you think we get the school shooter? How do you think you get what makes somebody pick up the gun? Why don't we talk about that? Why do we always just focus on how they actually got it as opposed to why they want it? That examination is the most important one. And it does start with that mother, this person's declarations in the middle of her life that she was trans. This is like the 16 year old girl contagion from what it sounds like. She wasn't trans and then suddenly she's trans. And by the way, there was no bullying, according to her school colleagues. They're speaking out now. The classmates are saying she was totally supported. You know, like, this isn't a Columbine thing or you bully. Like this is an unwell person. And instead of getting any care from the sound of it, she was probably celebrated as we've seen time after time. Like there's no indication from the mother's media post that the mother did anything other than celebrate the, the child. child. And, and I think. The child needed help. The, the young woman, she's 28 now. Clearly, clearly. And I think what you just said is really important is we've created like this, uh, this ranking system of citizens in America where, you know, we have the protected classes and we have the oppressors and we have the oppressed, you know, and when you when you gaslight that and you continually harp on it and it's the pins and the flags and the, you know, it's it's in your face 24 seven that there are oppressors and oppressed. What the hell do we think is going to happen? What do we think is going to happen as if the actual mental illness in itself isn't enough of a concern? What happens when a society is so freaking fixated on gaslighting that mental illness to say you are oppressed and the people around you are the oppressors? The Christians are the oppressors. What is going to happen? Yeah, and, and it's still I happening. It, but it, it starts to feel pretty, pretty manufactured. If we aren't talking about this, if we aren't calling it for what it is, and if we aren't demanding answers to what we've done in this society to go from, you know, one nation under God, so now we have multiple national anthems and we have months of celebrating this class and this class and we have separate graduations and we have all it's so divided and it's so gaslit on we have the oppressors and we have the oppressed. What do you think is going to happen? Hmm. And they're still doing it. I mean, in the wake, these victims haven't even been buried yet. They, they haven't even likely been autopsied yet. and. Already, the media, the left jumps. Right. I mean, literally, there was an NBC guy who tried to blame this on the Daily Wire yesterday. That there were a lot of terrible, terrible takes, and we'll go through that, them, many of them. But this was to me the worst one. Hold on, I want to find it from the guy who worked at him, who works at NBC. Um, do we have the tweet, you guys? I'm trying to look for the the page number. Here it is, Benjamin Benjamin Ryan. I have it. Um, who is an, a New York Times, of course, an NBC contributor. NBC has ID'd the Nashville school shooter as blank. We don't say the names of mass shooters on this show. 28, who identifies as transgender and had no previous criminal record. Nashville is home to the Daily Wire, a hub of anti-trans activity by Ma at Mash Matt Walsh, Ben Shapiro, and Michael Knowles. He later deleted it because of the blowback that started coming in. That is the most disgusting thing I've seen in the wake of this tragedy. Who goes there? The, the Daily Wire is not a hub of anti-trans activity. They are guys who are saying what you gals have been saying, which is no 
medical interventions on children. Stop mutilating minors. They're too young to consent. And yes, there are people like Matt Walsh who who does not believe and, and Ben and Michael, I think is fair, no, do not believe you can change your biological sex, that you, if you are born a man, you are a man and so on. Um, that To then link that to this trans person's decision to kill nine-year-olds? What the hell? But that's what we're up against. That's what you're talking about, Britt. That's what the media does before, during, and after an event like this. And if you have somebody in the LGBTQ community or some other protected community group involved, you can call out the playbook before you've even seen it. Yeah. And also they're not over. This is not over They're They're having a whole few days of vengeance. I don't know if you saw that, Megan, but. Oh yeah. They're they're promoting that before this shooting, a trans group was promoting a day of vengeance. That's, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. They they feel justified because remember they're the victims. They're the victims and, and they're the oppressed class. So they feel justified in getting revenge this is this is where we're at. And it's not it's not over. I mean, they're planning this for next for, for this week. Even I think it starts the 31st. Right, Britt? Yeah. Yeah. And ironically, I, I had read, you know, I was following this story since it broke yesterday. And ironically, I woke up this morning because I was reposting a lot and Twitter had taken down my repost of the um, the graphic that they were using which is good. You know, um, it shows that they're on it, but yeah, they, there, um, are organizations that are calling on it beginning the 31st and it's a show up at the Supreme court, um, bring a buddy and a mask. And we're going to, um, it was just, it's a vengeful, it was a vengeful post and, you know, well, it does make uh, you want because, because look what, look what happens in the wake of, let's say, um, the Buffalo shooting in New York state which by the way, New York state has very tough gun laws. So does California, where we've had repeated multiple uh, mass shootings where you gals live. Um, Mm -hmm. Toughest toughest gun laws in in the country. All right. Tennessee does not have toughest gun laws in the country. It's not the guns. The the mass shootings are happening in states with very tough gun laws and they're happening in states with very easy, very light gun laws. Just stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. But anyway, um, what happened in, in Buffalo was a racist mass shooting at that I think it was Kroger grocery store. Um, and the guy left a very racist white supremacist manifesto. And then we saw the media say, well, it's all the fault of the Republicans. The, the Republicans are white nationalists and the Trump crowd, they're white nationalists, they're racists. Never mind the fact that Trump's numbers with the black community are breaking records. Still to this moment, there was a poll out yesterday showing how much better he does with black voters than DeSantis, than anybody else. Like, okay, okay, but he's a white supremacist. I guess they just don't understand that. Um, so that's a the media goes there. It's the fault of Republicans rhetoric. But now, now, do you think there's going to be any soul searching, you know, by these same people who want to blame rhetoric? All right. What about your side? What about the let's have vengeance flyer that's been all over Twitter by the trans community? What about the demonization of people like Matt and Ben and so and Michael Knowles for having a a legitimately held position, which everybody in America held up until about two minutes ago? Right. You can't change gender. You can't change biological sex. They won't do that. Right. Instead, they're going to try to twist this to say those guys got this person so angry or their policies got this person so angry that she justifiably you know, went down into a dark rabbit hole. That's where this is going to go. Right. Yeah, you're exactly right. You're exactly right, Megan. And one other thing that I want to point out, why are we so afraid as a society to call it like it is? 
Why are we so afraid to, to be accused of being a transphobe? I mean, you look at the last shootings. These are these are all similar people that that believe that they're the opposite gender who are told, yeah, you can just change your gender. You can just become God and change your gender and, you know, have everybody obey and, and respect your pronouns and, and go along with this fantasy. I mean, we're, we're seeing the repercussions of this, Megan. This is this is what we get when we affirm lies. We're affirming lives of people. And it's yep. ending well, in death and destruction. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know about you, but and, and I know the trans community will cite studies only done on adult trans people, not kids, uh, saying, oh, your happiness goes up after you transition. Those have been called into serious question, those quote unquote studies. Um, yes. I, I will say I know I am used to know very, very well a, a trans person who um, transitioned fully. And this person's life was shitty before the transition and it remained shitty after the transition. In fact, they added a whole bunch of other problems to their life. And I do wonder whether, I mean, look, I'm going to be honest, whether there should be almost a red flag when, you know, dealing with these people because they clearly have mental health issues and they do not get solved despite these fake studies by transitioning. Go ahead, Brett. You are so on the money. It's like, I can't like, I'm, I'm so you're, you're over the Thank target. You, Megan. <laughs> and you know, um, the first we've been diving into the history of where did this ideology come from? Because it's important. Like we need to know where, where did it come from? And so we've been doing a in, like master's level research project on all of this and the big players and what was going on in history um, in regards to this, this gender identity religion that has taken over America. And in going back, you know, it's really fascinating because you just touched on it is um, you were talking about, you know, the before the transition, the after the transition. Did you know that um, the very first sex change clinic in America it was John Hopkins University mm -hmm. and um, John Money, Dr. Money was behind it because he was the creator yes. of the term gender identity and gender role and the belief that gender and sex are two separate things. Um, he founded this first sex clinic at John Hopkins U. And um, there, when a new head came into that clinic, he said, you know what, we need to do some long-term, have long-term data on these patients who have um, transitioned. And so they followed, I believe, 50 of these patients. And the conclusions were that there was, there was absolutely no marker, no indication of an improved mental wellness on these these patients. And this is early America. We're talking like 60s. So um, that first sex clinic shuttered. And at the time, we had 20 sex clinics that were operation, sex change clinics that were operational in America. And by 1990, we were down to three because it was proven, it was proving in real time that chopping off bits and pieces of people for a mental illness wasn't solving the problem. It wasn't creating a sense of like, oh my gosh, these people are transitioning and now they're all better. Their mental markers stayed the same by and large after going through operations. Uh, I think that we have to get back to a point where we're asking those questions again of what's happening to all these kids that we are cutting up to bits and pieces. We have so many detransitioners coming out now. We have one that's um, suing actively Kaiser Permanente and saying that it did nothing, that they felt like it was a complete disservice against their body to have it mutilated in the name of science and progress. 
I think we have to, as a country, start looking into this and asking what are the long-term effects and what's the data showing us? Because if it stays the same as it did back when John Meyer did that investigation on that first sex change clinic, money, then, um, then we're in, we're in big trouble as a nation. Yeah. John money was the one who did that experiment on the, the two boys, the twin boys, one of whom had a catastrophic, uh, accident during the circumcision and the parents at on John money's advice decided to try to raise him female that they, they tried to convince him that he was born a girl and it was absolutely devastating. And that he wound up killing himself as an adult. And it was really sad. We played the sound bite a few times. And he was, uh, John money upheld that experiment on those two boys as a complete success. It wasn't until another colleague of his, John, uh, Dr. Diamond from Hawaii, who was also a sexologist said, you know, let's look and see the long-term of these boys. Um, you know, if this experiment was a success and he found, um, David Raymer, who was a no longer, um, Brenda and had gone on to living back as a man and, um, realized that this whole experiment was a complete abject failure, which ended in both, um, both of the boys dead in their thirties, um, one by suicide with a gun and the other an overdose. And this is your earliest data we have on what this ideology does to people who have a mental disorder when we affirm it as normal, but we have to, we have to start talking about these tough, these tough Mm. pieces of data that we have and not just pretend it away or pretend that we're so virtuous and so progressive that we're not going to talk about it because everything is fine. Everything's fine. Until something like this happens, until something like this happens. That's right. I mean, there's been a lot of warning signals that we need to start paying attention, like serious attention to this. This is not this isn't like I mean, later we're going to talk about the latest pretendian, you know, pretend Indian, um, yet another person faking their Native American status. This isn't that's kind of funny. I have to say it's kind of amusing. I love catching these people. You can laugh at it. You, It's pathetic. You know exactly why they're doing it. I, I'm not going to look at that person and say she's got mental health problems. She's like, I understand why she did it. I mean, it's pathetic. It's fraud. It's not ethical. But um, th- this this group of people is in a different group. There, There's no question. There's no question that there are mental health issues, period. And therefore, we have to just take a minute to pause and figure out what they are and how severe they are. And that leads me to news that is just breaking now about this particular shooter and what else may have been plaguing her. Forgive me. I'm going to do a quick break because uh, we're like eight minutes past where I was supposed to do it anyway. So we'll squeeze in a break. I'll come back with that. Um, want to tell you the Blake Barklage episode that I mentioned was episode 393. His family's still doing well. They are among the most beautiful people I've ever had the p- privilege to know. And if you want to spend 20 minutes getting to know them, please go back and check it. More with Carrie and Britt right after this quick break. The Daily Beast is now reporting, citing a source close to the shooter's family, that the shooter was autistic, but high functioning. Can I tell you, this has happened over and over. Moms have spoken out about this. There was a piece I remember not long ago, but Canadian mom, I mean, Canada's all about affirming, 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 same as America now, who said, I I had no, no trouble finding a gender affirming clinic when my child said they thought that they were cross or transgender. Uh, What I did have trouble finding was somebody who could get to the correct diagnosis that my child was actually just autistic. This was just an autistic child. And more and more, 
I have spoken to mental health professionals who have identified this as a trend. Parents who have autistic children are taking them in and they're being told, oh, maybe they're just trans. Oh, great. I'll take that. I'll go for the trans. That's a that's a that's a hip, cool diagnosis. You get the snaps on stage for trans, but autism. Wow. I mean, who wants autism? Right. I don't know what this particular person's issues were, but Carrie, I'm not surprised. I got to be honest. I'm not surprised to see this. You're exactly right. I think parents are so desperate for answers and they're seeing now, Megan. I mean, what are, what are they seeing? Not only will their kid become an instant millionaire and get, you know, um, Dylan Mulvaney uh, endorsements and millions of dollars and be hailed up this narcissistic hero in a way, you know, they're being fed these lies. And so these parents are now buying into the lies and, and just saying, you know what, Any, anything, anything at this point. So yeah, let's have them be trans. I mean, this is so, this is what's wrong is that I blame, I blame these parents. I blame culture. I blame academia. I blame uh, policies. I blame uh, lawmakers. This is what we're seeing in American culture right now. This is what we need to be talking about every single day. This is domestic terrorism at the hands of mentally ill people. And we and we're the not, medical we're not community saying. and the medical community that facilitates them, that enables them without so much as a, as a real inquiry into what their actual issues are. It could be autism. It could be teenage stress. It could be puberty. It could be so many things other than gender dysphoria. And if you look at the odds historically, you know, we have a lot of years of history to look back on this. It, it isn't gender dysphoria. That's That has never been this big a thing. We're making it a thing. And the fact, Britt, that this was a female shooter should be an inflection point. You know, the fact yes. that girls do not, women do not go in and shoot up schools. That is not a thing in America. Yes. If you look back at the whole history, you'll find like on one hand, than a well, we don't of know examples. what a woman is, though, Megan. Remember, we don't know what a woman is. Right. So but the That's fact that this actually is a biological woman who committed this should be an inflection point for us to say how what what was communicated to her? What happened in her life that made her such an extreme outlier and to ignore the trans thing? And, you know, the, the, now find, we, we find out she may have had another serious issue. I don't know where she was on the autism spectrum. That does not make people turn violent at all. Um, but we have seen a, a spate of trans violence. Um, it, why yeah, why I, wouldn't we ask? I refuse to stay silent on these questions just because somebody get, is going to get offended. And I know you feel the same, Britt. We are so past the point of someone's going to get offended. Like we're at the point now where you have nine year olds being gunned down. Like we are past the point of being offended. You want to put a label on me, put a label on me. I don't care anymore. Yep. I don't care. I don't care. I, I pulled up while you um, were talking about that, Megan, that the largest study to date back in 2020, uh, there was a sampling population. And I remember when this came out, um, it was about 515,000 people was the data set. And they found that um, these researchers were looking into those who were quote unquote, I'm using their term cisgender male cisgender female and gender diverse. And in this data set, they found that in all, all of the populations that they looked at, the autism diagnosis are, is most common among gender diverse individuals than among their cisgender peers. And it's a whopping, like you look at the bar graph and it's just off the charts for the quote unquote gender diverse community 
versus the cis communities that are represented as a male and female. So you have now reports coming out that this this individual who, like you said, we're not going to even validate her name, but this individual, it's now saying we have reports coming out that she was autistic and that then she started using pronouns, which somehow magically now infer a gender on you. And then that person, if she was in therapy, was most likely given testosterone. What does that do? It aggravates the whole problem. But if you're autistic and that's not what's being focused on and it's instead it's let's load you up with testosterone. And then as a female, let's give you social media that's going to tell you that you aren't enough, that you are oppressed, that you don't fit in. So you're going to seek out communities that affirm your mental illness so that you find a sense of belonging. That is, you're going to find the rage in those communities. You'll find it anywhere you look. But if you're drawn to that, if you're on the testosterone, if you're autistic, if you have a mental problem and they're loading you up with something you full of hormones, it's a crisis that is reaching the fever pitch that we have created in America ever since Dr. John Money in America said, Your gender and your sex are two separate things. Let's experiment with that and see how it turns out. Think about that. You're you're raising such a good point because it's like, it's bad enough when we're pumping children. I don't know when this person started to transition, but um, it sounds like might've been teens because a a high school classmate is saying when when she declared herself trans, um, none of us was surprised. So that would, let's say 10 years ago. I don't know. We'll find out more facts, but it's bad enough when we start transitioning children. Now, Carrie, what what Brit's saying is and, and, and what these studies are saying is we're taking non-trans autistic children and pumping them full of medicine, cross gender hormones, um, surgeries. I've said it before. Again, I don't mean to just be vulgar, but when you take a bunch of testosterone as a as a woman, um, like uh, at these levels, we're trying to transition. You, your your clitoris will grow into a very small deformed penis N- nothing anybody would ever want to look at now what is that going to do to an autistic child who's not actually gender dysphoric but but actually just has autism issues that you know millions of kids have dealt with and gone on to live perfectly lovely lives without this sort of weird intervention yeah and we've given these people a microphone and told them that they need to be protected you saw the lieutenant governor of Minnesota wearing the protect trans kids shirt. Is she wearing that today? Is she wearing that today? I doubt it. Where is the protection for Christian kids going to school and being gunned down by these mentally ill people whose society is affirming this? It's wrong. And we as a nation have to address this. Gonna you continue. raised a very good point earlier. Uh, Curtis Hoke, I think he's with the Daily Caller tweeted out, if this were an attack on an Islamic school by a MAGA supporter, not a trans person in a Christian school, the left would never let this go. And they they wouldn't simply blame guns either. Right. I mean, this does have the feel of a hate crime. And we need to know a lot more about this person and the family. Uh, Carrie and Britt, stay with us. A quick break and then back to the ladies. Can I just spend a minute on the president of the United States reaction when this broke? So news had broken that we had this shooting at this Nashville school, that three children were dead, three adults as well. The president knew this. Okay, I want you to keep that in mind, the audience, too, when we watch this. He knew that. 
he was coming down to address the cameras on that subject. And this is what he started with. My name is Joe Biden. I'm Dr. Joe Biden's husband. And I ate Jenny's ice cream, chocolate chip. I came down because I heard there was chocolate chip ice cream. By the way, I have a whole refrigerator full upstairs. You think I'm kidding? Where is your humanity? How disgusting and off-key, right? This is what 35% approval rating looks like. I, that infuriates me. How, how? There's a chance the parents are watching that. There's, a, there's yeah. a chance the parents have the TV on because the president of the United States is going to address the murder of their nine-year-old. And that's how you fucking start. I'm sorry, but it's, I, no, that's I know, you how know, you the start. The first thing I thought is those little, those little nine-year-olds, like my little nine-year-old, she loves ice cream treats, you know, like after school, like that's where my, my head went first is like, you're going to talk about ice cream and nine-year-olds were just gunned down and those nine-year-olds, they will never have like, you know, that special mommy daughter ice cream Sunday date. And you're going to freaking come downstairs and that's how you're going to lead off. Like what an absolute embarrassment and disgrace. And it reminds me of the time he remember when he was checking his watch. Yes. The, yes. It reminded me of that just no yes. humanity. No humanity at all. And, and I mean, this guy that is the president of the United States, he is unwell too. You guys, we are, we, this is a mental illness crisis that we're facing. The, the leader of the free world cannot even come down in a, in a tragedy like what happened yesterday and compose himself. He's talking about ice cream cones. You're right. And, he seemed like the doddering old fool. He's the, he's mentally unwell. Why are we not talking about this? Why are yeah. we not demanding his mental competence be tested? The leader of the right. there, world, unwell. There, there, there's something really off about the clip. Like, it's really off. It, it was, it's one thing if he didn't know, but he knew, and he went on from there to address these murders. So it's, it's almost incomprehensible in how insensitive it is. And it does sort of, you're right, lead you back to, what about his competence and his wellness? Yeah. Meanwhile, President Unity, because remember... That's what he called for when he got elected. That's what he called for right after the midterms. He was feeling really good. Like his his party got reelected uh, in the Senate. They lost the House, but by a lesser margin than they thought. President Unity was going to bring us together. Dark Brandon was gone. Sends his press secretary out there yesterday with the following message, immediately blaming the GOP for the shooting. Stop three. How many more children have have to be murdered? before Republicans in Congress will step up and act to pass the assault weapons ban, to close loopholes in our background, in our, in our background check system, or to require the safe storage of guns. We need to do something before another child is senselessly killed in a preventable act of gun violence. How is it preventable? How? How exactly? Mm. Even their assault weapons ban doesn't doesn't ban a uh, semi-automatic handgun. That that's that could easily have killed six people in fifteen minutes. Easily, you don't need an AR-15 to do that. I mean, like th th these are lies, and they prevent us from focusing on the real issues. It reminds me of what happened yesterday. Tennessee Representative Andy Ogles. My God, did you see what they did to him? This is the congressman for this district. He's a Republican. Uh, it's the fifth congressional district, and look, it's not a mystery that a lot of people in America love their guns. 
A lot of people love hunting. They love a lot of stuff that maybe you couldn't understand if you lived in a very deep blue community. Um, it doesn't make them evil. <laughs> I would never go out and hunt. I'm not a hunter, but like my husband grew up in suburban Philadelphia and I was telling my team yesterday, they, they have a lot of guns in their house and they have a lot of dead stuff, birds in their house. And like, my kids are like, what? How did it die? I'm like, oh, ask daddy, right? Like, yeah. It's not the way I grew up, but there's nothing wrong with it. it this is America. And this guy did something I wouldn't do, but whatever. It's the culture of his community and his family and his Christmas card had he, his wife, and at least one or two of the children carrying guns, rifles. Um, okay, fine. It's not my thing, but he did it. Um, they went there. The, <laughs> I'll give you, here's one of the worst. Nancy Sinatra, who fancies herself a political pundit now. This man may as well have pulled the trigger and murdered the precious little children himself. I wonder if seeing their dead little bodies gives him pleasure. Deliver us from idiots like Andy Ogles. But it wasn't just Nancy Sinatra. The Washington Post tweeted out GOP congressman from Nashville District, quote, heartbroken by shooting, period. A 2021 photo shows his family with firearms. What? What? Later had to delete that, too. Um, we could go on. Now they're all saying he's pretend. The left is saying he's pretending he's heartbroken because he's a pro gun guy. <laughs> well, I hate to break it to him, but the America was built on gun ownership. That's a secured right in our constitution. And uh, what I go back to with anyone who wants to tell me that guns are evil, you know, guns are wicked. Guns are a neutral object. I am a highly trained gun owner, and I can tell you that guns can do great good and guns can do great evil depending on the hands that hold them mm. and it shows you that the media has lost its credibility when they don't know where to take a topic like this and so they say low-hanging fruit guns let's make guns evil and wicked and then let's just focus on that like how stupid are they how stupid to miss the whole plot line in all of this mm -hmm. I think and, it just shows on, that they, they have credibility. And, and on top Brit of that, Carrie. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, just what Britt and I are dedicated to doing is we're so tired of this low-hanging fruit, Megan. You know, we see it every day, the entertainment, the clicks, the reposts of this. We want to go in and uproot that damn tree. We want to uproot it. We want to say, what caused this? And that's what we're dedicated to doing. Because mm -hmm. in order to move forward and to have a better future for our kids, a fruitful future, we need to uproot that damn tree. And that's what we're dedicated to doing. Well, this uh, then you're not going to like these tweets because the media doing its thing on this story yesterday continued. They were um, outraged about the gun photo that the man tweeted out at Christmas, <laughs> somehow tying that to this. And they were not happy about the misgendering of the yeah. shooter, of the shooter. OK, this mm -hmm. is USA Today. Uh, tweets out the following police on Monday afternoon said the shooter was a transgender man. Officials had initially misidentified the gender of the shooter. Okay. That's important as red Steez, uh, tweeted out. He's been on the show before. You must respect the pronouns of the domestic terrorist and child murderer. New York times tweet at eight seventeen PM. There was confusion later Monday about the gender identity of the assailant in the Nashville shooting. Officials had used she and her to refer to the person and so on. Then we get this from CBS news this morning. Police have identified 
the suspect as a 28-year-old named X, who they shot and killed at the scene. CBS News is still working to confirm X's gender identity. Who cares? Shut up. Stop correcting everybody on the pronouns and the gender identity. I mean, give me a break. Well, let's not forget, too, USA Today just honored a man as woman of the year. So obviously they don't even know the difference between men and women, first of all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're totally discredited. Um, USA Today is disgusting. ESPN, too. How how are those? I just want to know how those go through the editorial process to even be legitimate headlines. Like who says that's a good headline? Let's let's actually focus on that. Yep. Let's like three kids were just gunned down. Three adults were just let let's make a headline out of misgendering the shooter. Are you Uh, freaking kidding me? Right. When every normal person is having, I think, the reaction close to what I said at the top of the show, which is I I hope this shooter is burning. I don't give a damn. I if it if it would would upset the shooter, if the shooter had lived, I'd be happy to misgender the shooter all day long. I couldn't care less about the shooter's feelings. Um I realize the shooter is now dead, but I'm just saying. And but it's ideologues, Britt, and that, you know, NPR had to take down a tweet three days ago where they were questioning. They were ripping on. Um, hold on, I want to find it so I don't misstate it. Um, okay, here's the headline from National Review. NPR issued an official correction following a story published Friday, which argued, "quote There is limited scientific research supporting the idea that males have a physical advantage over females in competitive sports." David Marcus, I love his writings and his tweets. He he wrote out, you know what? There might actually be limited scientific research supporting the idea that males have a physical advantage over females in sports because you? it's as obvious as the nose on your face. Like, you, why would we need to research that? Anybody with eyes can tell there's an obvious advantage. But by the way, there have been lots of studies showing that testosterone reducers or not they have an advantage. They were ticked off over at NPR about the fact that one world sports body, the one that oversees track and field, said we're not going to let trans women race against biological women. And they were pissed off and they showed it in their tweet. And ultimately, the backlash was so severe based on science trademark, they had to take it down. What a clown world. (laughs) That's all I can say. What a clown freaking world we're living in, Megan. Mm-hmm. I know. Well, you, the, the sports thing, you know, you mentioned USA Today, the sports thing over at ESPN was equally outrageous where they recognized Leah Thomas as, as one of their, you know, their top women of the year. I can't remember how they labeled it uh, in connection with Women's History Month. Women's History Month. Yeah. So we featured Leah Thomas. Leah Thomas is not a woman. Leah Thomas is a man who was Will Thomas like two minutes ago, failing to mm-hmm. win any competitive swim races. Then crossed over. And now, again, thanks to the Daily Wire reporting, we know that Leah Thomas has been all over the Internet liking tweets about something called autogynophilia, where a guy gets off having people see him dressed like a woman. And so Leah Thomas, who don't know, we don't know, may have been there in the UPenn locker room getting turned on by the fact that Leah Thomas was in a women's swimsuit crushing the biological women and having them have to look at Leah in a woman's swimsuit with Leah's penis very well intact. I mean, this and let's yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up, Megan, because those are the roots that we need to be digging up yes. from the ground, you know? Yes. Addressing those roots this need to go. for what it is. But can I think it's important okay that I... we can hear oh. you. Let's not forget yeah, no, what let's not forget what they did to the girls who complained when Leah Thomas, which let's just call him Will Thomas, but when he was in there with his penis exposed, disrobing. And the girls said that they felt uncomfortable. 
the girls were told that they needed to go seek help to understand the yeah. LGQB, et cetera, community. That's right. The, um, yeah, it was their, let's say they honored, uh, ESPN honored Leah. I think it was uh, in their Women's History Month. Okay. Um, yes, they told them that they had to go get therapy. And now Riley Gaines, yep. who is the person who came in third and tied with Leah Thomas in one of those races in the swimmer competition, Riley just tweeted out uh, at, my team will get me the campus. I tweeted it out this morning. Riley's gone to speak at a university to talk about women's rights. And there's a huge protest of Riley Gaines. She, the biological woman who came in third and they wouldn't give her the trophy. Leah Thomas, what was it? UPenn? Oh, that's where Leah's, UPitt. Okay, UPitt. Um, so so they praise Leah. Leah Thomas gets magazine covers, lengthy features on ABC, what ESPN honored a Women's History Month. Riley Gaines, an actual woman who had the temerity to stand up and say, what you're doing is wrong. Why didn't I get the trophy? We tied, exactly tied. And you gave it to the biological man because you wanted him to have the photo op. She's getting protested. <laughs> this happens yeah, to you yeah, too. Right? You've been getting protested for standing up for women. We've gaslit it. Our country has gaslit it to say that Riley Gaines for saying that she is a woman and that, that that is a fact that she is a woman and he is a male. She's an oppressor because she's using the wrong words. So the, our country has gaslit all of this that started with Kinsey back in the 40s, then led into money. And then it seeped into Psychus. Psychus puts it all into our curriculum. The kids are brainwashed into it. We don't have institutionalized healthcare anymore for kids who have mental issues. Now the schools are the institutions and it's being bred into their curriculum. And you end up with the situation we have here where you have two classes, oppressed and oppressor. And we gaslight, gaslight, gaslight the victims, which leads into what we saw yesterday. It is all by design. And we have to start talking about that. That is the focus. That is the focus in all of this madness. If we miss that, this keeps going and it's going to get worse because we're doing mm -hmm. this to all the generations behind us. And we have to stop it now. We have to readdress where we are as a country and say it's not working. It's broken and we have to fix it. Yeah, we're, we're telling lies and those lies have consequences and the failure to push beyond them and figure out what's really going on is detrimental to, to these people, to us, to six-year-olds, well, like all of it. I, I understand the connection. I, I have to say this one was particularly galling. I'm, you're the perfect people to ask about it. So we've talked about this before. It's not the first time it's happened, but yet another trans woman. I, I don't mean this to be disrespectful, but I got to say just a good mnemonic is if you sub in the word fake for trans, it helps you figure out who's what. <laughs> when you say trans yes. woman, it takes like a minute to stop and say, what does that mean? What is a trans woman? But yes. I mean, just as a mnemonic, sorry, but it does help me. Like if you sub in the word fake, it kind of keeps you track of who's who. Uh, go ahead and at me if you don't like it. Um, so a trans woman has won yet another beauty contest. Now it's not like we care. This is going to break down America, you know, at its fabric, oh. but it's, it's a piece of the story and it's, you won't be surprised to hear Miss San Francisco as part of this is the Miss America pageant. So here's the part that really got my attention. So this person, this biological man takes another woman's spot in the, in the Miss America pageant by winning Miss San Francisco and the interviewer, Oh. <laughs> has the nerve to ask this person I can't. about I can't. women's rights and how this person is really going to stand up for women and where, they, like, where womanhood goes from here. Would you watch this? 
We're at this time when women have gained so many privileges, and yet it seems like at the same time a number of privileges are being taken away. Um, what is your hope for the future, and are there any changes you'd like to see? Hmm. You know, I, I'd say I would love to see more parity, more gender parity in, in the workforce, particularly in law. Um, my career ambition is to be a deputy district attorney and hopefully run to be a judge in the same courthouse my dad cleans as a janitor. Mm -hmm. And as someone who hopes to join the bar and eventually the bench, um, that is something that I would love to see more of, more women in, in, in white collar professions. I can't. I literally can't. I can't, you guys. This is so insane. Oh, he's so oppressed. His dad was a janitor. Poor little victim. Like, I'm so sick of this. Think Can you believe all those women. Think about the all solution, those Carrie? His, his solution to the, the fact that he wants to see more women in law is him <laughs> himself. Like, wait, that's not a woman. Sorry, but that's not the answer to the problem you claim exists. No, it's what we keep saying. All the patriarchy had to do to get women to bow was put on a dress and high heels. Yes. Can and you then the interviewer, did you perfect. see the interviewer, Meg Megan? The interviewer kept going, oh, you're so gorgeous. You're so gorgeous. You're so beautiful. Oh you're just so beautiful. Oh my God. Oh, it's like I'm another like Drew Barrymore. Yes, it's another totally. Drew Barrymore, right? It's like, get, get off your knees. Stop it. Stop it right get now. Off right? Embarrassing. It's embarrassing it how embarrassing that it's a it's a woman and, uh, you know, an actual woman. That's just I, um, I saw that interview last night and Carrie and I were just like, just, oh, cringing, you know, just cringing. Didn't you think it's she was not, going a different way? Brent? I thought she I thought she actually might be asking like a, a, a Carrie do. and Britt type of question. Like, do. how do you respond like, to women who say you've taken their spot? Right. Yeah. But it landed in a totally different place. And now they're talking about how to solve actual women's problems. And this person who I think has a penis says me, I'm the answer. <laughs> Okay. Oh, it's so embarrassing. It's, it's, it's so embarrassing. I literally wanted to like throw my phone across the room and be like, F all of you. Like, yeah. <laughs> I am so pissed right now. I'm sorry. I know. I'm sorry you, too. I, I like that. I'm sure I this am. person is a, is a kind person. All right. And I, I wish this person no ill will. But the reality is that person took the slot of an actual woman to whom that pageant title might have actually meant something, could have meant scholarships potentially and other good things in her life. And when this person becomes a lawyer and eventually practices law and takes the bench, if that's the goal, um, it will not be in advance of women's rights. <laughs> No. It could be in advance of a trans person's right, but not of women's. I mean, like the whole thing is so crazy. Patriarchy and address. You want to use feminist language? It's patriarchy and address. That's how they come back and dominate, and we're applauding it. Yeah, right, I think so, we have to stop like using their words. Like transition, a transition isn't even a real thing. You can't transition your gender. You, you just cannot. can't. You and like cannot. we have to stop lying. That's the problem. Is we're affirming these lies, and that's where we want to uproot it and say, stop doing this. Stop kind of right. It. Like it's stop. if I meet somebody who is trans or whatever, um, I will be respectful to that person. I will be kind to that person. I will not, you know, whatever they can dress however they want. But I do not accept that they have transitioned into my gender. <laughs> They've yes. not become a woman. Yes. Like, yes. I don't really feel the need to participate in that fiction to be respectful yes. of them. Right. Hey, like, Megan, this is what I this is an example I just want to put on the table is if suddenly we lived in Truman Show America where we said that fish are horses and you better believe it because some fish, they identify as horses and all they have to do is we sew on a couple legs and they're a horse. We, <laughs> we would be out of our minds to affirm that and say, yeah, you know, let's just be kind and let's say that fish can be horses. It's a no. 
It's a no. It's a no. And if we, it's a hard no. Hard no. Hard no. But that's, it's the same damn thing is men cannot be women. They are biologically different beings all the way down to their, their bones. We're, yeah. we're different. And it, whatever you want to cut off, however you want to dress, whatever fake eyelashes you want to put, do it. But I will never affirm that a man is a woman, just like I would never affirm that a fish is a horse. Yep. Yeah. Amen. No, that's a no. So speaking of it's a no, may I please forgive me, but I must show you the latest Dylan Mulvaney video. I don't know if you've oh, seen it. No. I'm sorry, but we went from acting like Eloise in a little girl's outfit to this is the li- I'm just you, you just watch it. It requires no setup. Oh, no. Oh, no. Let dolls be dolls, please. Let dolls be dolls, please. Thank you. Oh my God. <laughs> Wait, what, what was he saying? Let, Let dolls, dolls be dolls, please. No, no, no. Stress. He's got no. for the listening audience two big braids on the side of his head and like a dress, like a patchwork sweet little Megan, doll dress. I mean, it's like we laugh, but like this is where it's going. Like, I don't know if you heard the story about the 65 year old that went into the daycare and was like demanding that they like, uh, um, look at him as a baby. Like this is where oh, we're at. <laughs> Dylan might actually think he's a doll. So does that make him not human? Does that oh make him God. not have to abide by laws because he's not a human being? Like this is so scary. No, you're right because the whole furry thing and like if, yes. if, if nothing's real, you could take exactly. it anywhere you want. Where, where do we go? Yeah, you're you're a doll. You're a bit. You're Eloise. Fine. You're no longer just like a a woman or a girl. Now you're Eloise. Oh wait, now you've taken it to doll. It could change week to week. You could, your species, um, thank God so far the law, it's bad enough, um, but it already, it, all it protects right now is gender identity and not like furry identity or baby identity uh-huh. or any of the weird, but look at this person. Look at this person. I just have to the be me. We're affirming that. He's getting freaking, he's making millions right now. He's laughing yeah. to the bank while we affirm it. And Drew Barrymore is on her knees yeah. telling, telling him that. She is so thankful for him. And, you know, he's he's the idol of the cult is what he is. But but I have to I've got to raise this before we go, because I so this is okay. This has to be celebrated or you're a bigot. Um, Mm -hmm. And you guys have been saying this is woman face, right? Yes, it is. And the left completely outraged about blackface, as you know. But this celebrate. This is totally fine and needs to be uplifted and celebrated and paid. And that leads me to as our last subject today. The CNN piece on digital blackface. Uh, Somebody named John Blake writes an article, a whole article. This is, keep in mind, the new CNN that's going to be more moderate. (laughs) Uh, Houston, we have a problem. Um, Digital blackface, digital blackface, he says, is a practice where white people co-opt online expressions of black imagery, slang, catchphrases, even catchphrases or culture to convey comic relief or express emotions. Uh, Critics say digital blackface is wrong because it is a modern day repackaging of minstrel shows, a racist form of entertainment popular in the 19th century. Put simply, digital blackface is 21st century minstrelsy. And what they say digital blackface is, is like when you go to the memes on your phone and you're like, show me excited. And there's one of like a little black girl going like, yay. 
or like Beyonce doing like, a, oh no, you know, like a powerful. If you girls or I were to tweet that out, we would be engaging in digital blackface. Uh, it's appropriation and it's inappropriate. That's how lunatic like the media is today. Dylan should be celebrated, but a little meme or a catchphrase that's used by the black community and you're a bigot. It's so insane. It's so insane. What else can we say? I mean, this this is absolutely insane. But I think, you know, it, the dangerous thing is if they actually normalize that where it's, you know, now it's normal that if you do what is it called? Digital blackface, you know, you're a race. Well, how long until that's criminalized, you know, and now like it doesn't. Oh, wait, ideas a news anchor ideas. just got fired. Did you see this? A news yeah. anchor just got fired yesterday for, for, for quoting ideas. Snoop Dogg. She said something like for, for shizzle, my drizzle. I don't know what she said. She said something that apparently is a Snoop Dogg quote or thing. And the, I believe me, my team's going to check me. She got fired for this. Yes, she got fired. This is outrageous. But Dylan Mulvaney can don a dress and be a doll and talk about his girlhood and push tampons on America. And that's just fine. I mean, like, as soon as I saw the digital blackface thing, I was like, this. They're they're obsessed with blackface, real and digital. But woman face is not a thing. And in fact, you absolutely have to lean into it and embrace it or you're the bigot. All we can do is refuse to live by these double standards. Like, yes. fuck off. Yeah, yes. I'm sorry. Yes. I've said the F word like 10 times this show. My mother's going to kill me. But like, that's, that's really the only proper response. Yeah. That is it. You hit the nail on the head. Yes. I would say refuse to live by lies. lies. Refuse yeah. it. That's how I refuse to use the fake new language. Do you know that my um, my Instagram uh, just we had put up a post saying that transgenderism is a fake word. It's a made up word that came from John Money. And it's like we said, it, it cycled all the way through now. But it's a made up term. It's an invention from the 1950s. Uh, we posted that with the history and it was taken down for hate speech and we contested what? it and it was taken down as hate speech. Just this was this week. We refuse to live by lies. We are going to keep on demanding that we only use truthful words with truthful meanings and that we call it like it is. And that is the way home. If we're going to see this country saved, it's because we refuse to live by lies and we refuse to be afraid of the labels that they're going to slap on us. I'm more concerned about my nine-year-old being able to go to school and to be able to have a healthy childhood than I am about the labels that they're going to put on their mama. I can handle that. What I cannot handle is if I play by their rules, knowing that they're creating a dystopian future for my daughter. I, the way home is refusing to live by lies and demanding answers that start at the root cause. And then getting loud about it. We have to get loud about it. I shouldn't have to pray over my two children that they're going to not have to hide under their desks at school. This morning, I'd, I prayed over them and I prayed for a hedge of protection over their classmates. I shouldn't have to worry if they're going to be gunned down by these mentally ill individuals that culture is promoting this. Mm-hmm. We have to stop. And we have to start telling it like it is. We're not going to live by lies. We're going to live by truth and truth alone. Capital T, truth. I like that. The way home. The way home. Britt, Carrie, so great to see you both. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Thank Megan. Thank you, Megan. We'll see you again soon. Yeah, I look forward to it. When we come back, an exclusive interview with a college professor who was railroaded right out of his job for two simple tweets. But man, he fought back. That story's next.
We've discussed on this show many times the prevalence of cancel culture in our society and the effect that it can have on a person's life, on their livelihood, on their well-being. Professor Charles Negi has lived through his cancel culture nightmare and has found a way, even within the university system, to fight back, even though this university gave him all it had in its effort to destroy him. That's my opinion from having read up about the case. Charles, welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice meeting you. Likewise. All right. So just give us a background on you. What, What have you been teaching where and how long? So I've been a professor for 29 years, first at the University of Texas campus, and then for the last 25 years here at the University of Central Florida. I teach psychology. I teach a a controversial course called Cross-Cultural Psychology and Sexual Behavior as well. Okay. So UCF, and that that course is where you went wrong. (laughs) Um, Actually, it wasn't even the course. It was on Twitter where, um, let's see, it was forgive me, 2020, June of 2020. So the world was exploding with Mm -hmm. race essentialism in the wake of Mm -hmm. George Floyd. Um, Mm -hmm. Everything was going nuts. Everybody was racializing everything. I will never forget. I was, you know, we're going into summer break and the head of my daughter's school at the time just sent out a message to everybody in school saying, I'm a racist. I've been a racist for a long time. Our school is racist. I'm like, what'd you do? What'd you do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. She had no exam. She just like wanted to tell us all she was racist because she's white. OK, bye. Um, so that's the frame that we were in at that time. And in that context, you tweeted out. This is not in the classroom setting. The following. All right. So I will read the tweet so the audience knows how this all began. One, if African-Americans as a group had the same behavioral profile as Asian-Americans, on average, performing the best academically, having the highest income, committing the lowest crime, et cetera, would we still be proclaiming systemic racism exists? That's number one. Number two, black privilege is real. Besides a firm action, special scholarships and other set asides, being shielded from legitimate criticism is a privilege. But as a group, they are missing out on much needed feedback. May I say bold tweets <laughs> pretty much ever, but certainly from a university professor in June of 2020. So did you did you know that you were going to get blowback from those? Okay, so I mentioned my controversial course, Cross-Cultural Psychology, because I address all these issues in that course. We get into very thorny issues. I'm a very data-driven professor. So everything I say is linked to data for the students, for the students. So I'm not averse to going on Twitter and saying things that are in line that I say in my controversial course. But I need to give you a 30-second background because my situation didn't quite begin with the tweets. One month before the George Floyd death and my Twitter scandal, the University of Central Florida hired a new president. And on day one, he declared his primary mission for the university is to make it the national model for diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I sent him a... I'm sorry? Primary, the primary mission. Okay. Keep That's going. right. Not 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 to increase academic standards, not to make sure our students are getting jobs when they graduate, but to make the university the national model for diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I'm a minority. I study minority issues. I wrote him a letter welcoming him to the university, but and I let him know that I support minority and I I've been mentoring them for all my adult career. But I'm a I'm familiar with diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's a very racist and divisive ideology. And I told him, I hope we can meet sometime to discuss this further. 
This is one month before George Floyd was killed and before my Twitter scandal. So he didn't, he ignored me, but I was on his radar. And so when the social mob descended upon University of Central Florida and me demanding I be fired, he was came after me. He he weaponized the Office of Equity to launch a pretextual investigation into my entire twenty plus year career with the university. Wait, and that, let me let me let me pause you there. Let me pause you there because okay. this is that's okay. like the most outrageous piece of this. So yes, you're a minority, as I understand it, uh, half Hispanic, and also gay. And so that's right. normally this would. This would make you, you know, a card carrying member of the DEI crowd and they would love you and they'd be super happy to have you on board. And but it, we've seen this before with people like Glenn Lowry, who is a black man in America, right. who's first at Harvard, now at Brown, who pushes back on some of these ideas. And he, too, gets the, all this blowback. So it, it doesn't say if you're not woke, those That's credentials right. don't save you. So you send these tweets out. Of course, it's almost like an evergreen situation where they're protesting outside of your home and they're shouting at you and they're <laughs> acting like, I mean, like you were there when George Floyd was killed. I mean, yeah. like the really yeah. the overreaction was severe, which is bad enough. But students, oh, we know how they are terrible in today's day and age. But then the administration, mm -hmm. the ones who are supposed to be the grownups, the adults in the room. That's correct. Launch an investigation. I mean, if you want to like talk about witch hunt. This was the mm -hmm. most witch hunty thing I've ever seen them do to a professor. Tell us what they did. So the the director of the Office of Equity uh, queried me for two days, four and a half hours each day, asking me, did you say this comment in 2009? Did you say this comment in 2005? And just went on and on and on for four and a half hours for two days. And I did my best to answer as honestly as I could. I tried to the, the complaints that they, they 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 orchestrated this massive public solicitation of complaints from disgruntled students. I've taught over 30,000 students. Imagine that. It's a big university. So they found a couple of hundred students who came forward with complaints saying I said one thing or another in class that is viewed from the lens of critical race theory, diversity, equity, inclusion, violates that ideology. So in the end, after seven months, they put together a 243-page investigative report saying, here's all the reasons why they're justified in firing me, a tenured professor. So to my utter surprise, they fired me. And as you may know, but your audience doesn't, I had a union and they assigned me an attorney and it took a year and a half for me to have a four-day hearing, at which point at the end, the arbitrator ruled that there was no just cause to have fired me and ordered UCF to rehire me with all my back pay and all my benefits. And they refused to pay me for four months until they received a notification from my private attorney, Samantha Harris, who's a free speech expert, that we plan to sue them in federal court. And that's when all of a sudden they dropped all my back pay into my bank account. So as of right now, we have filed the lawsuit and the process is in motion. The what they they tried to embarrass you and it was Ooh. absurd. They basically said anybody who has any dirt on Professor Negi, please complain. I mean, I've seen your letter like it was actually you can tell me who it was, but it looks like the head of the school and one of the deans were openly saying 
we've got to get him. It's going to take a while. Like they were pretty, was That's like right. on the nose. They're not allowed to, to hire, to fire you for your free mm. speech on Twitter. That your tenure That's professor, right. they, they can't do it. So they're That's trying right. to find ways. Of, so they're basically just open calling who can help us get him. Mm-hmm. It was. And you said, try to embarrass me. They humiliated me. They wanted to crush me, make me homeless, which if I hadn't had some resources and some friendly people in the community, I would have been because imagine for the first time in almost 30 years being without an income. I had to sell my house below market level and try to find someone to rent some rooms to me and my my husband and my disabled brother who I care for. So they wanted to just annihilate me and hold me hold my head up as a trophy for all the social justice warriors, for all the DEI advocates that this is what we did. And they probably wanted to send a message to other professors that if you question this ideology, this is what will happen to you as well. Mm-hmm. That's it. So that's, I think that's actually a huge piece of this, right? They need to appease the mob, the mob being the DEI group within the student body. I'm sure not every student was in on this, but the DEI crowd, they fancy themselves like modern day civil rights activists nothing mm-hmm. of the kind. Mm-hmm. Um, so they needed to appease the mob, but they also need to send a message because you tell me, do you think the administrators who are doing this to you believe in the cause? Are they ideologically aligned with these students on this or are they just scared weaklings who just needed to do what they needed to do so, or else that would be their head in a basket? The president fully drinks Kool-Aid. He's the one wanting to make UCF the national model of DEI. And the director of Office of Equity, she also is fully on board with this ideology. So, and of course, the chief diversity officer as well. <clears throat> the provost, I'm not sure. He, he wanted to be provost, so he'll probably do anything or say anything just so he could have that position. But um, no, UCF, who happens to be on Governor DeSantis' radar, uh, they're fully trying to shove this ideology down all of our throats. And they're doing everything they can to circumvent the efforts of Governor DeSantis to put a stop to this ideology. Megan, this if I may say, school. universities have no business promoting any ideology. Professors have free speech and so do their students. But the university, the administrators who are spokespeople for the state institution, they should not be promoting astrology, Christianity, Islam, or diversity, equity, and inclusion. But mm-hmm, they think they can do this too. and they're going to try to be the best to get away with it. So you finally get the back pay after you get the private lawyer and you've won the arbitration, but they're still not complying if they're not giving you your back pay. But and, no, they did when, when they got the notification that they're yeah. being sued now in, in federal court. Yeah, but they dragged their feet. Now that, that's what you've just done is you filed this federal lawsuit. So that's why, right. if they had paid you the back pay, would you have filed the federal lawsuit? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. They've turned my life and my career upside down. I'm not going to let them destroy me. I'm lucky to have a job at UCF, but I cannot get a job anywhere else. And students, there are students who support me privately, but many students try to avoid me. So it's hard to do my research, et cetera. So they've done damage beyond just my back pay, just losing my back pay. I mean, a guy like you, 29 years in the in the university system. Um, also, we mentioned you couple you check a couple of diversity boxes, which mm-hmm. certainly are valuable in the college setting. I would imagine many universities would want to hire you. So have you, like, did you try to reach out? Like what happened there? Yeah, well, yeah, when I was, when I was fired and unemployed, I applied to 20 places. Now I've been an active researcher and, and successful at publishing my research. So normally when I apply to places, also being a minority helps. 
I would get invitations for interviews, but none out of 20 places I applied to, they just ignored me. Wow. They they know they know my they know my case and and this climate that we're in right now, which is a very dangerous climate, Megan, it, I worry about the future of the United States because this ideology has a grip on so many of our important institutions beyond the university. Mm-hmm. So universities are kowtowing to this ideology across the board. Across Did the you see what knows. happened um, at Connecticut College? I mean, I'm in the state of Connecticut here, but Connecticut College is, ha- is going through its own upheaval along these lines where, forgive me, I don't have the facts in front of me, but I think what happened was the president of the university offered or suggested holding a fundraiser at the Everglades Club in Palm Beach, Florida. That's where the rich people are. Where are you going to hold the fundraiser, you know, down by the local sewage plant? Like you go where the rich people are. So this was the proposal and the person must have had a connection with the Everglades Club. That person's now been forced out of her job. She's been kicked right out of the university. The student body was so angry because they said this club allegedly has some history of racism, maybe anti-Semitism. If you look back in the history of most of America's clubs and go back far enough, you're going to find something that's going to bother you. Um, The woman lost her job. She stepped down. It's like one by one, you make one false move. And the move, mm-hmm. in your case, what was false about it? This is your opinion saying, mm-hmm. is there a black privilege? Are we overstating the extent of oppression is essentially what you were asking. Mm-hmm. Um, are, is any of this cultural? Is Should we spend some time focused on that? Again, back to Glenn Lowry. He's been asking all these same questions, all these same questions, Charles, but mm-hmm. he he's black, so he was not going to get fired. And um, He's tenured too, and they'd just be nuts to go after him. So he's in a better position than you are. So in any event, you know, so what do you hope to gain you know, through the federal lawsuit? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, okay, well, let me just say quickly that people don't have to agree with my views. We can debate my views, but the issue is we have freedom of speech. You know, thank God we have the Constitution, and it protects people like myself, professors at state institutions. So what do I hope to accomplish from the lawsuit? Well, UCF... I'm suing because they retaliated against my protected speech. Um, but they've also, you know, I suffered some anxiety disorder, had to go on medication, suffered depression, and I've lost my house. Um, I'm still living uh, with someone who's sympathetic to my situation in the community. And I, I'm not hireable. And my colleagues don't speak to me. So I'm assuming for some damages and the fact that they retaliated against my free speech. Has no one I w- stood by I want to send a message. I'm sorry, mate. I want to send a message to them. Don't ever mess with professors' free speech. And you cannot treat professors this way just because they don't bow down to your cherished ideology. That's my <sighs> bigger goals. Has no one there stood by you, none of your friends, before this happened? So there's 40 plus full-time professors in the Department of Psychology. It's the largest major on campus. One person who was a friend of mine reached out to me initially, and she she made it clear in writing that she doesn't agree with my views. She wanted to make that clear, repeated it a few times in case she gets in trouble. But she wanted to continue the friendship. But everyone else stopped speaking to me. So I I have to go to department meetings now. And I just sit there and people ignore me. And that's fine because I, I must be honest, I've lost respect for almost all of my colleagues. They stood by and let this happen to a, a fellow tenured professor and they knew what was going on. Half of them drink the Kool-Aid of DEI and they're probably happy that it happened. The other half are terrified 
that this could happen to them as well. So they want to distance themselves from me. I understand that, but but it's unacceptable. We all have to, like your previous guest on your previous segment, we all have to stand up for what we think is correct and true. And in this case, free speech is what's correct, regardless whether you agree with the person or not. What I I don't want to get into the long list that they threw at you as the alleged reasons for termination, since it's you won the arbitration and this was thrown out as not valid. But I will say I feel like you were further defamed in the whole process because they really tried to make a villain out of you. Like I mean, there's a couple of whatever. This is some some very stupid things, but the the way they listed is he denied one of the reasons why you're being terminated is you denied ever using the term at the F term for gays in class. You denied having done this. You denied having done that. They basically got a bunch of charges from their their reach out to the entire student and faculty body and then listed them. And then if you denied them, it was a basis for your termination. It's absurd. Regarding the F word for gay people, which I never use, and even in my And you are a gay life, person. That's right. But I never use it. I never use it in my personal life or in class. However, I had sent an email out to all the students telling them about a story about the black Israeli Hebrews or Hebrew Israelites, I think they're called, excuse me, who kind of verbally assaulted the Covington High School kids. If I'm saying that right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, Covington. So I was telling I was telling my students they called them the F word. I used the word F word in that message. And yet no one said anything to them because I presume because they're black. So I had forgotten that I had sent that message to my students. But if the director of equity would have said to me, well, well, Negi, we have on recording here or in a written email, you use the F word. I, I would have explained to her, I didn't use it. I I mean, I wasn't using it. I was saying someone else used it. I was but bringing a all, news story. That's all they, that's all they wanted to, to satisfy their narrative. Well, I mean, you know, the old, where do you go to get your reputation back? There really is an answer to that. And it's court. You go to court because the one thing these universities do understand is money. So does your lawyer say you might potentially be entitled to, in addition to actual damages, potentially punitive damages? Yes, we will be pursuing punitive damages. That's good. I will say, I will say that Florida has severe caps on how much one can get for both damages against the state and punitive damages, but I'm not in it for the money. I want to send a message to my university and maybe other universities across the country that we exist to pursue knowledge. You also have the advantage of a governor who's on your side. I mean, Governor DeSantis isn't allowing a lot of this at this at any school funded by Floridians. And so now you have a newfound ally there. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Yeah, well. Listen, Charles, thank you for fighting, because I realize it's not just on your own behalf. It's it's on behalf of and not just the other professors, but all of us out there facing cancel culture. You need you need warriors like you. Uh, and we appreciate you coming on and telling your story. Good luck. Keep us posted. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye bye. All right. All the best. And uh, thank you to the audience for being with us today. It was an emotional show, right? That's the felt some anger, felt some sadness, felt some fire. Feel some hope listening to Charles and his legal fight. The fact that he won that arbitration, I bet you he's going to win this federal case too. Uh, Thanks for spending the time with us. We will see you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. 